So, some year we're just going to let you go, you know, whole hour of this. We, we are an evangelical free church. That doesn't mean we're evangelical free. And it doesn't mean we're free. You, you still have to, like, pay to come, right? Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. We're, we're, we are sort of a non-denominational, denominational church, as close as you can get. Because if you're going to be a free church, meaning you're sort of autonomous, then it's pretty hard to be a denomination, right? But we are as close as we can be to a bit of both. And this morning we have our district superintendent from the denomination coming, and Greg will be speaking with us. But he's been a huge help to us for, for a long, long time on many things that the denomination can help with, and especially the district. He's going to talk about an upcoming conference, but mostly he's going to be talking about how this church has been an encouragement to the denomination and back and forth. Greg, would you come minister to us? I like to think of us as an association more than a denomination. You're, you're part of an association of uh, 1,500 churches across America, but you're part of the Rocky Mountain District, which is basically Colorado, Wyoming, Black Hills of South Dakota, 80 churches in our association. And I want to say thank you to Bergen Park Church because the district can only do the work that we do from the support that comes from our churches. It's totally supported by voluntary contributions from the churches. To give you an idea of how you have been ministering in the district, because everything I and my associate do, you do because you're the ones that are contributing to it. This past year, 2017, we had 13 of our 80 churches looking for a lead pastor. Oh, by the way, this was one of them. So you kind of helped yourself, but you helped those other churches as well. You may not be aware of it. You're involved right now in starting five new churches just in our district. That's a big core value that we as a district have, starting churches in communities where we have the opportunity. Another thing that you have done this past year, there are two churches in our association that would have closed if they'd not been part of the association, if the association hadn't been funded by churches like yours, they would have closed because they got below critical mass, they got below the, op the ability basically to, to go on, but because of you, we were able to bring some guys into both of those churches to, to help them get restarted and get re-envisioned. Uh, just this last week, I may, met with two different leadership teams in two different churches. This coming week, I'm going to be meeting with three others. You're helping to equip leaders in churches. You're helping to do all different types. We've got like 80 different workshops on the district website that uh, are available to our churches. You're helping pastor pastors. I go to 10 different regions every month in, in our district, and each of those regions, our pastors are meeting, we're sharing with one another, we're iron sharpening iron. Uh, there's a whole lot more that is part of the district, but I just want to say thank you to Bergen Park Church because you're a great partner in this ministry with the other churches in our association. 
Open our Father's Word, if you would, this morning to Matthew chapter 20. And as you open to Matthew chapter 20, I've got a question for you. Is life fair? Is life fair? Yeah, some of you have siblings, don't you? Is God fair? You don't sound real convinced that God is fair. I think on Sunday morning you come to worship and you think, well, yeah, the theologically correct answer is, yeah, God's fair. But do you have questions through the week? Have there been times where you've been even angry with God? Is that okay? I'm going to ask you to um, think differently this morning. I'm going to give you four theoretical situations, and I want you to place yourself in each one of those. And just emotionally connect with each one of these hypotheticals for me. The first one, think of either your present job if you are working for a company that has management over you, or if that's not the case, a job in which you have worked in the past where you had a company, uh, a manager working over you. Most of us have been in that type of situation. And most of us are real excited to get the job. And we think, this is going to be great, and now I'm employed, and they're going to give me all of these benefits, but every one of us that's been in that situation, as you get further and further into the job, you find out there's more work and there's more task than you anticipated, right? And if it is a position where you're a leader, you end up working longer hours and you're not getting compensated for all of that, you might even take work home, you lose sleep over some of the concerns that you have with the job. So your manager comes to you and says, I'm going to help you out. I am going to bring in a part-timer, and that part-timer is going to take some of the load off of your desk or off of your responsibility. And you'll be able to work less hours and worry less. How do you feel about your company right now? Do you feel pretty good about it? Is anybody out there? <laughs> so this part-timer comes in, works half day, you're still working the full day, and indeed, your workload gets easier, and you're feeling pretty good through the month until the end of the month comes. And you're sitting down at the lunch table with this part-timer just before he or she is ready to go home, and you're comparing your paycheck, and you find out they're getting exactly the same amount that you're getting. In fact, you get further into that conversation, and you find out they're getting the same benefits that you're getting as well. Now how do you feel about the company that you're working for? Not so good, right? That just doesn't seem right. That just doesn't seem fair. How are you going to address that situation? The question this morning was, have a discussion about a time when you were treated unfairly. 
I heard a lot of discussion and nobody was talking about that. You were greeting one another and talking about other things and goofing off. I'm making you think about this. Second scenario. By the way, this isn't realistic, but think about a time. Well, let me put you in a situation where you have a dog that you can't control. It's a yappy dog. It barks all of the time. And your neighbors complain. And the local authorities have visited you on several occasions concerning this dog. And finally, they offer you a set of bracelets. In other words, they arrest you and they take you to jail. And the next morning, you stand before a magistrate. And the magistrate says, you know, you've been in front of me several times and I've warned you in the past and I am going to sentence you to one year incarceration. How do you feel about the justice system right now? Not so good, right? And they have you sit down and another person comes up and that person is in front of this magistrate because they have been arrested for the distribution of a Schedule I controlled substance. In other words, they're a drug dealer. And the judge says to that person, you also are going to be sentenced to one year incarceration. In fact, you two are going to be roommates and take them away. Well, as you're leaving the courtroom, you're probably not feeling too good about our justice system, are you? Until the judge says, wait a minute, bailiff, I want you to release the drug dealer, but I want you to keep the one who's disturbing the peace. Now you don't feel good about the justice system at all, do you? See, that's a scenario that probably wouldn't happen. It's an extreme. But the reality is, all of us have situations in this life that we live on this earth that we go through and we get treated unfairly. And we don't get credit for the things that we've done. Somebody else gets credit for it. Let's look at a third scenario. This one's from Matthew chapter 20. And in Matthew chapter 20, it starts out, the kingdom of God is like a landowner who went out early in the morning and he went to hire laborers to work in his vineyard. And he agreed with these laborers that he would pay them a denarius for a day's pay. In this scenario, you are the laborer, okay? And the landowner has come to you. You're a day laborer. By the way, this was true not only in Christ's time, it's true in our culture as well. There are those things called day laborers where you can go to a day labor office and get hired just for that day. You are the day laborer. You have entered a contract, an agreement with this landowner to harvest his grapes for a, de for a denarius for the day. Fair enough? Is that fair? You're looking at me going, I don't know what a denarius is, so I have no idea. Well, denarius is 25 denarii. So it's fair. This is a fair wage for the day. So you run off to the field, and you start your work. And it says about the third hour, he went 
and saw others standing in the marketplace, and he told them, you also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you, the wording is different here, whatever is right. It's not a denarius, it's whatever is right. So you've been working for three hours, and suddenly there's more labor coming to help you. And you're thinking, hey, this isn't so bad. I'm, I'm, I'm getting some help here. It goes on in this parable to say that he went out the sixth and the ninth hour, and he did the same thing. So as the day's going on, and you're laboring, there are others that are coming to join you. So the task is one that's becoming easier. And it says in about the 11th hour, he went out and he saw others standing in the marketplace and he said to them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? And their response was not, well, because we're lazy. It was, well, it's because nobody has hired us. And so he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Now the end of the day comes and the owner of the vineyard calls his foreman. And he says to the foreman, I want you to call the workers and I want you to pay their wages, but I want you to begin with those who were hired last and then go on to those who were hired first. And so when those who were hired last came, they were paid a denarius. What are you thinking right now? You, most of you know the rest of the story. Don't get ahead of me on this, okay? You're thinking if you're a normal person, wait a minute. My contract was for a denarius. They only worked an hour. I think I'm going to get more. If you're a normal person, that's what you're thinking. But it goes on to say that when those who were hired first expected to receive more, but when each of them were paid, they also received the same amount of denarius. Now what's your response? Not fair. Exactly. If you're a normal person, that's exactly what you're thinking. And that's exactly how they responded. It says, when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. They said, these men who were hired last only worked an hour. And you've made them equal to us who have bore the burden of the work and the heat of the day. You see, our value system is no different today than it was two millennia ago. We want what is fair. And when we get treated unfairly, we grumble and we complain. Life should be fair. I've got news for you, folks. Fair is where you go to ride on rides and eat cotton candy and step in monkey poop. Life is not always fair. If you think like they did, you're not alone. In fact, there are others in Scripture that have also felt like, I've been treated unfairly. I'm not sure God is even paying attention. Have you had days like that? The psalmist did. Let me read to you, for instance, Psalm 73. The psalmist says in Psalm 73, As for me, my feet came close to stumbling. I nearly lost my foothold. 
I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They don't seem to have struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from the burdens of, that are common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. Their pride is their necklace. They close themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds seem to know no limits. And they say, how does God even know? Does the Most High even have knowledge? That's what the wicked are like. They're carefree. They increase in wealth. The psalmist cries out and he says, surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. In vain I've washed my hands in innocence. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever wanted to just pray an imprecatory prayer? <laughs> a prayer of evil? If you're not paying attention, listen to this. If you believe in praying scripture, here's a good one. Psalm 109. David writes and prays, God, appoint an evil man to oppose him. You can pray this for your friends if you'd like. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him be found guilty. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May a creditor seize all that he has. Selah. <laughs> you know? Have you ever wanted to pray that for somebody? I don't know, a brother-in-law, somebody? I don't know. Let me give you a fourth scenario. The fourth scenario goes back to the first one, but you're not the full-time worker who had the part-timer to come in and take work off of your table. You're the part-time worker who was hired. And you find out at the end of the month, I'm getting paid the same as the full-time worker, and I'm getting the same benefits. Now how do you feel about that employer? Pretty good, right? That's a company you want to work for. That's an employer you want to hang around. These laborers in Matthew chapter 20, as I said earlier, are day laborers. They were those who were standing around in the workplace, not because they didn't want to work. It said, we aren't working because nobody would hire us. And it was true then as it is today. The older, the weaker, the handicapped are the last to be hired, are the last to be chosen. And it wasn't that they didn't want to work, it's that they couldn't find work. Now most of you are familiar enough with the parables that you know the landowner in this scenario, in this parable, well, the landowner is God. The laborer, well, it's us. Your current worldview and attitude is going to, or your current worldview is going to determine what your attitude is. And those of us who are walking this earth with the American worldview regarding God are going to have problems with God. There are times where we're going to be angry with God. There are times where we're going to think God just isn't fair. But if you have a biblical worldview and a biblical theology, that's going to change everything. As we come to 
the concluding verses here in Matthew chapter 20, there are five things that I notice about God and his relationship with you. Look at verse 13. My first conclusion is life is not fair, but... Verse 13, he says, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Did you not agree to work for a denarius? You see, if you're looking for what is fair, you're not thinking of a heavenly view. You're thinking of an earthly view. And in my life, I want God's economy, not my economy. I don't know if you were paying attention or not, but this parable isn't about life as God has given it to you on this earth. Go back to verse 1. It doesn't say the kingdom on earth is like. What does it say? The kingdom of heaven is like. The psalmist in Psalm 73, he was complaining about the arrogant and the wicked and how they seem to have wealth and health and here is what he says in the middle of Psalm 73, verse 17. I didn't get that far as I read it to you. He said, it was oppressive to me until I entered the sanctuary of God and I understood their final destiny. Yeah, life isn't fair, but God in his economy is going to show equity to you in eternity. We get our eyes so focused on the present that we forget about what this relationship with him for eternity is. Life isn't fair. But as the laborer said, or as the uh, owner of the vineyard said to the laborers, friend, I'm not being unfair. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? You will not be shortchanged when it comes to eternity. It might seem like others are getting what you're not, and yeah, we're not all equal in terms of our ability or our size or our wealth, but, you know, ultimately and eternally, it's going to work out. Second, some of you are sitting here this morning thinking, well, I don't know, I'm just, I'm really not good enough. Not good enough for God's kingdom. And if you're thinking that, you're absolutely right. You're not. And neither am I. In fact, we kind of sang about that this morning. Look at verses 14 and 15. The owner of the vineyard says, take your pay and go. I want to give to the man who was hired last the same as I gave to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? <laughs> the reality is God is gracious and kind. It's not about your goodness. It's not about your gifting. It's about your heart. It's about your character. It's about your relationship with God. And so often we get our eyes on, well, God, why are you doing this for them and not for me? Well, God has the right to do with his resources what he wants. None of us are good enough. All of us are fallen. All of us fall short of what we deserve. But the reality is, God is gracious and kind to all who come to him. 
Third, if you're serving God to seek and gain position with Him, forget it. That's not how heaven works. Heaven isn't about your accomplishments for Christ. Many of us go through life thinking, well, you know, if I pray harder, if I do the right thing, if I'm more righteous than the other person, we'll think about that for a moment. Some have more opportunity than others. I have been a follower of the Lord for many decades. I'm not going to tell you how many because it will give away my age. But think about somebody who is up the hill at the village. And they are perhaps terminal. They've got two weeks to live. And somebody shares with them that God is so crazy in love with them that He came to earth in the form of His Son and He stood in their place to reconcile them to Him. And for the first time in all of their decades, they learn, wow, I've got an opportunity, a place in heaven for eternity, but they've only got two weeks to live. They've only got two weeks to serve the Lord, and I've had decades. How does that work in God's economy? If it's all about the more I do and the more works that I do and the more righteous and the more mission trips, and you see, it doesn't work that way. Verse a lot of us think that Matthew 20 starts with verse 1. But the reality is you are suffering from uh, the Masoretic text, which gave verses and numbers. The original text didn't have that. This passage really starts at the end of chapter 19. Look at verse 30. Chapter 19, verse 30 says, but many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. And then chapter 2016 says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. See, this parable is parenthetical. It's, it's surrounded on both sides by this idea of the first will be last and the last will be first. Now, I know many of you have quoted that when you cut in line at the church potluck. But you took it out of context. The context is, it's not about your works, it's about his faithfulness. And if you're keeping score, you're missing out on God's grace. You're serving him for the wrong reason. In fact, my fourth conclusion is, you might be missing out on the fun of your faith because it's more about what you're doing for him than what he is doing for you. You're serving him because of what you think you can get for eternity. Instead of serving him because you're responding to his crazy love for you and you're now crazy in love with him. Let me illustrate it this way. How many of you have ever been madly, deeply in love? Raise your hands. If you're married, now might be a good time to... Two more hands. Good, good, good. Yeah. What happens when you fall madly, deeply in love with somebody? You start doing things you would have never done before, right? You start listening to their music. 
You start going to the restaurants they want to go to. Some of you guys actually were caught in a mall for the first time in your life when you felt... Because you had to? Ah. Because you wanted to. See, many of us live our relationship with God out of a, well, it's, it's a, yes, we should do the right thing because it's the right thing to, no question. We should be righteous because we are called to be holy and righteous and separated and sanctified. But doesn't it make more sense to be doing it, to live a transformed life out of response to his love for you? rather than a response to, well, here are the rules. You see, you're going to be transformed in your relationship with him when you go, I really get what the cross is all about. Pastor, how often do you guys do communion here? Once a month. Why does he make you do this once a month? Is it because you've forgotten and you need to be... Do you have the table that says, do this in remembrance? Is, does it say that on the front? Next time you take communion, I want you to think about it differently. When we take communion in America, we get this nice table, and we put a white tablecloth on it maybe, and it's clean and it's pristine, and we get cute little crackers. And Think about the crucifixion of Christ the next time you do it in remembrance. Close your eyes. Get your mind working about the stench, the smell, the dirtiness of the air when Christ was crucified. Think about the agony, the pain, the cries of... If you think about that, you're going to respond to God. You're going to respond to Christ differently than, well, I'm doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. No. I'm doing it because of what he did for me. And if these four challenges from this passage haven't convinced you yet, my final challenge is you need to check your attitude. The landowner says, yeah, God says, I've got the right to do with my resources the way I want. You begrudge it because I treated somebody else differently? This is... He concludes with verse 15. Don't I have the right to do with my resources as I want? Or are you envious because I'm generous? Father, I have to admit, that is true. There are times when I do get upset with you because you treat others differently than me. And there are times, perhaps, where I am envious because you're not running the world the way I would. But thank you for this parable that reminds me 
you're not going to shortchange me. And as I look at eternity, you've already made great sacrifice that I didn't deserve. So I pray that as I go through this week, as my brothers and sisters go through this week, Father, we will we'll have a different attitude in why we're doing the right thing, why we are serving you. Not because we have to, but because we desire to. Help us to have that attitude, that mindset, we pray in Christ's name.